A young woman, alone in her room, hears a sinister scratching beneath her bed. In the quiet of the night, an unseen horror begins to unfold. This is the chilling tale of Esther Cox, haunted and hunted within her own home in Amherst, Nova Scotia. Imagine her fear as the very walls of her sanctuary seem to close in, whispering threats from the shadows. Objects move of their own accord, messages of doom appear on the walls, and fires ignite from thin air. What malevolent force singles out Esther, transforming her life into a waking nightmare? Who or what pulls the strings in a house where the boundary between the living and the dead dissolves? As Esther searches for answers, she finds herself trapped in a web of spectral terror and ancient curses, where each night brings closer a confrontation with the unknown. Will she uncover the truth before it's too late, or will she become another victim of the dark secrets that haunt her home? Join us as we unravel the mystery of Esther Cox, in a story where the past is alive and not all is as it seems. After the tone. I don't live very far from where this happened. I think everyone from around here knows this story. I don't know if I believe it all, but it's a great story. I love hearing both of your podcasts. Thanks for all you do. Next message. Hey, Bert. Esther Cox is a crazy story and should be a good episode. This is the only story that I know of where something has written on the walls. That's super creepy. Looking forward to it. Welcome back to another episode of Retraced Echoes. As always, I'm your host. My name is Bert, and today we step into the shadow of Nova Scotia's past, following in the footsteps of Esther Cox, whose life was anything but ordinary. She was born in the spring of 1860 to a family of hardworking farmers. Now, Esther's journey it began with heartache. Her mother passed away right after she was born, leaving a newborn Esther in a world already missing a piece of her heart. Now, her father was overwhelmed by the grief and a heavy load of raising a family alone, and he sought a new start far away in Maine, entrusting young Esther to the care of her grandmother. Growing up, Esther was the picture of resilience. Despite the early sorrows, she shined with a kind of honesty and dedication that made her stand out. She was small, with short brown hair and eyes as blue as the Nova Scotia sky on a clear day. But life had more trials in store for her. The loss of her grandmother during her teenage years and another move, this time to live with her older sister Olive in the bustling town of Amherst. Amherst was a lively place, its heart beating with the rhythm of shipbuilding and echoed by the clamor of the local shoe factory, where many of Esther's relatives worked. Life here was pretty simple, yet it was filled with the rich tapestry of family life, where everyone knew everyone and stories were shared around the dinner table. Esther's new home was a hive of activity managed by Olive and her husband Daniel. The household was a sanctuary amidst the chaos of life. Esther and her sister Jane carved out a small haven in their shared room, a quiet spot in the bustling world of a two-story yellow cottage. The house at the crossroads of Princess and Church Street wasn't just a building, it was a warm embrace, a place where Esther played a vital role, helping with chores and caring for her nephews. It was a testament to the times, a snapshot of a family bound together by love and necessity. On August 18, 1878, Esther Cox's day began like any other. She shared breakfast with her bustling family, tackled her daily chores, and shared laughs with her nephews. Yet, beneath the routine, there was a certain excitement 
that bubbled within her. Bob McNeil, a shoemaker known through her sister Olive's husband, was about to take her out. Now Bob was tall, he had dark hair, with a little mustache that added to his charm, but he was the figure of much talk in town, and a subject of concern for Olive due to his reputation as well as his modest living. Now despite the whispers and the disapproval from the family, Esther found herself drawn to him, dreaming of what might lay ahead. Now their afternoon date was meant to make up for a previous letdown, and it began with promise. Bob and his horse and buggy came for Esther, and together they rode through Amherst, heading towards the seclusion of the surrounding woods. Now the romantic air, however, soon grew heavy as clouds obscured the sun, mirroring the dark turn that their day was about to take. The outing's peacefulness shattered when Bob revealed a revolver and demanded that Esther follow him into the woods, a request that filled her with terror. The exact happenings within these woods are cloaked in mystery. The sudden appearance of another vehicle led Bob to retreat from his threatening stance. This incident, however, it left a deep scar on Esther, changing her in ways that no one would ever have been able to foresee. The return journey was marked by a heavy silence and a sudden rain, with Bob's refusal to seek shelter only adding to the tension. Esther came back home soaked and shaken. Her earlier optimism washed away by the storm as well as Bob's betrayal. Now Bob's exit from Esther's life, it was not just an end, it was a beginning. It was a start of a transformation that would see Esther's world and that of her family delved into the realm of the unexplained. The events that followed would challenge the very essence of reality, marking the beginning of a series of unexplained occurrences that would haunt Esther and cast her into the books of the unknown. At this juncture, Esther stood at a pivotal point, her life forever altered, her spirit facing the shadows of an ordeal that echoed through time. That evening when Esther stumbled through the door, her clothes clinging to her skin and her face etched with fear, the household fell into a hushed concern. Olive, always a protective older sister, watched in silent alarm as Esther rushed past, her footsteps thundering up the stairs before the bedroom door slammed shut. The sound echoed through the home, leaving a heavy silence in its wake. Olive's heart was very heavy with worry, yet she hesitated at the foot of the steps, torn between the urge to follow and the respect for Esther's privacy. She could only guess what caused Esther's distress, imagining a lover's quarrel gone wrong, unaware of the true depths of Esther's fear. In the shared bedroom, under the dim light of a single lantern, Jane lay awake, her concern for Esther growing with each muffled sob that escaped from the bed across the room. The bond between sisters was strong, and Jane felt every ounce of Esther's pain as if it was her own. Yet, despite her gentle attempts to coax Esther into talking, her questions were met with silence. Esther, she was trapped in her own turmoil. She wasn't ready to reveal the secrets that was now haunting her. Bob McNeil's absence in the days that followed was like a gaping hole in the fabric of their daily lives. His presence, once a constant in the bustling household, was now eerily missing, and with it, a piece of Esther seemed to vanish too. The once bright and laughing girl was nowhere to be found, replaced by a quiet shadow that moved through the house like a ghost. The family, sensing the change, but unable to grasp its root, felt a growing helplessness, clinging to the fragile hope that time would mend the unseen wounds. Weeks passed and the air within the Teed household grew thick with tension. 
Esther's retreat into herself, her unexplained sadness became a silent specter at their gatherings, a constant reminder of the joy that they once had filling their home. Despite their worries, the family found themselves at a loss. Their efforts to reach Esther seemed shallow by the growing chasm between them. Unbeknownst to them, the events of that fateful August day had set in motion a series of changes in Esther that would soon challenge the very boundaries of their understanding, heralding a dawn of new and unsettling chapter in their lives. On September 4th of 1878, an eerie incident unfolded in Esther and Jane's bedroom, marking the onset of a series of events that would forever alter the course of their lives. As that night deepened, Esther was the first to notice an odd scratching sound coming from underneath her bed. In a hushed voice, she asked Jane if she also heard it. Jane roused to alertness, listening closely, the strange noise cutting through the silence of the night, the sensation of something brushing against Esther's sheet reaching out from the darkness below, suggested the presence of a mouse. Yet, the reality they were about to face was far from anything so mundane. Attempting to calm Esther's rising fear, Jane downplayed the situation, suggesting the noise was nothing to worry about. For a moment, it seemed their attempt to ignore the disturbance worked as the scratching stopped, offering a brief reprieve. However, the silence was merely a precursor to a more unsettling occurrence. When the sound resumed the following night, its source was traced to Esther's quilt-making box under the bed, compelling them to confront whatever lay within. With a mix of courage and trepidation, Esther retrieved the box and placed it in the middle of the room. Both sisters braced for the confrontation with a small unseen intruder. What followed, however, was beyond their wildest imagination. The box it lifted into the air by unseen hands and then was cast down violently. Its contents is spilled across the floor. Their screams shattered the night's calm, drawing Daniel to their side, his mind racing with thoughts of an intruder. Yet, what he found was anything but a tangible threat. Only his terrified sisters and the upturned box as evidence of their fright. Skeptical of their story, Daniel dismissed the incident as a mere trick, unable to grasp the true nature of their terror that gripped both Esther and Jane. This unsettling event was but a harbinger of what was about to come, a sign that Esther's life was about to be engulfed by phenomena that defied explanation. It marked the beginning of a journey into the unknown, transforming the Teed household from a place of warmth and security into a realm where the line between reality and the unexplained blurred, casting Esther and her family into a shadowy world of mystery as well as fear. The day following the eerie incident with the sewing box, a new chapter of dread unfolded within the walls of the Teed household. Dinner passed as any other night until a sudden change overtook Esther. Her condition deteriorating so rapidly that she had to excuse herself, fear painting her words as she whispered to Jane about feeling death's imminent embrace. And Jane, she witnessed her sister's distress. She saw Esther trembling uncontrollably, her fingers clawing to the wood of a nearby chair. A silent testament to her agony. The sight was so alarming that Jane called for her family, who rushed in, a blend of worry and disbelief on their faces. As they surrounded her, Esther's condition grew worse. Her body seemed to swell, her eyes protruding in fear, and a feverish heat emitting from her skin. The family caught between concern and confusion jumped at a loud boom from above, as if lightning had struck the house. Yet Olive's quick check outside seemed to show only a peaceful night, which deepened the mystery of Esther's affliction. The night's air was then pierced by knocks from beneath Esther's bed. 
mysterious sound that added to the family's fright, but eventually faded, allowing Esther's symptoms to subside enough for her to fall into a restless sleep. Morning? It brought no relief when Esther joined the family at the breakfast table, her face ashen, her spirit dimmed, and unable to eat. The brief moment of calm shattered as her mysterious symptoms returned with a vengeance, this time with an unseen force hurling the bed covers across the room, leaving Jane to faint in shock. The family, now facing Jane's unconscious form as well as Esther's tormented state, was plunged into despair. It was only when they realized that Jane had just simply fainted that Olive tried once again to settle the bed, only for the covers to be again violently stripped away by invisible hands. These events signaled the start of an unsettling air for the Teed household, marked by occurrences so bizarre they challenged the very essence of reality. The phenomena surrounding Esther introduced a new unfathomable dimension to their lives, leaving a lasting impact not only on her, but the family also, as well as the broader community of Amherst, ushering in a period of fear, wonder, and the search for answers beyond the comprehension of the ordinary. With determination, Olive made another attempt to secure the bed by placing the sheets back on, this time calling upon Daniel, William, and John for assistance. Now each one took a corner of the sheet, hoping, if anything, to anchor them back into place. Yet, what happened next was beyond their wildest fears. Esther's pillow, as if hurled by an invisible hand, flew from under her head and hit John right in the face. Overcome by fear, John was like, nope, I'm out, and he left the room instantly. In the heart of turmoil, Esther's cry pierced the air. Her body was savagely hit with pain that she likened to electrical shocks. William, acting quickly, fetched a bucket of cold water from the kitchen, thinking it might offer some form of relief. All the while, the room was echoing with loud bangs from beneath the bed, each sounding like gunshots heightening from the night's horror. By the time that William returned, the mysterious noises had stopped, and Esther's condition had improved enough for her to fall, faithfully asleep, in the bed. The intensity of these events led to the family seeking outside help. Dr. Carr Wright, the family's trusted physician, was called to the scene. Observing Esther's condition, he suggested that more than likely she was experiencing hysteria, or shock, and he decided to stay by her side into the night. Despite his medical interventions, the phenomena persisted, with the pillow moving unaided, and the same knocking heard underneath the bed as well as above in the ceiling. Now Dr. Carwright, he was both intrigued as well as concerned, and he searched the house and surrounding areas, finding nothing out of the ordinary except those same disturbing noises. They seemed to originate from the very walls of the teed house. And those sounds were so loud that they drew the attention of the neighbors, sparking rumors and concern throughout Amherst. The situation took a darker turn when Dr. Carwright discovered a menacing message scratched into the wall of Esther's room. It said, Esther Cox, you are mine to kill. This grim declaration coupled with a piece of plaster torn from the wall as if emphasizing the threat left the doctor in disbelief. This chilling moment marked a significant escalation the mysterious occurrences plaguing Esther, casting a shadow of dread over the Teed household, as well as deepening the mystery surrounding her affliction. The unsettling events of the Teed household continued to escalate, with the mysterious occurrences taking a very dramatic turn. Following a night where the house was besieged by unexplained bangs, a brief silence allowed Dr. Carwright a moment to kind of relax, only for the chaos to surge back with a renewed vigor the next day. 
To his astonishment, Esther seemed to have rebounded pretty miraculously by morning, resuming her daily tasks as though what happened in the night had not transpired. During another visit, Dr. Carwright was confronted by yet again another perplexing event. Esther reported being assaulted by an invisible force in the cellar, a claim that led them both into the depths of the house to search for answers. Their investigation took a very abrupt turn when they were bombarded by flying potatoes, a bizarre occurrence that forced a very hasty retreat, and it led to the doctor to sedate Esther, hoping to quell the turmoil enveloping her. A brief period of calm followed, offering the family a very fleeting sense of a normal household. However, this peace was soon shattered. Esther began to suffer from convulsions, displaying symptoms akin to a seizure and entering almost like a trance-like state. Now, in these moments, she revealed the harrowing details of her ordeal with Bob McNeil, which was shedding light on the family's worst fears about the man who had disappeared as mysteriously as he had appeared in Esther's life. Now, amid these ongoing disturbances, an idea emerged from Jane, a suggestion to directly communicate with the unseen force at the heart of the phenomena. Now, Daniel, he was driven by a mixture of skepticism as well as desperation, but he embraced this proposal, issuing a challenge to the identity to identify the amount of people that was in the room. The mysterious response from the unseen presence through five distinctive knocks indicated the number of people present marked a very pivotal moment for those gathered in the Teed household. Those people was Olive, Daniel, Dr. Carwright, Jane, and Esther, and they had stumbled upon a way to communicate with what seemed to be a ghost. Together, they established a very rudimentary code for interaction. One knock, that was no. Two for doubtful, and three for yes. Now this system laid the groundwork for their future exchanges with the entity opening a new channel of communication between the physical world and the unknown. As the night went on, Dr. Cartwright, he had to go. With him, an epiphany of different thoughts that he had. His observations had solidified the notion that Esther was the focal point of the paranormal disturbances. Their occurrences was tied directly with her presence. This realization only served to thicken the plot casting doubt on whether these manifestations were genuine spiritual phenomena or elaborate deceptions centered around Esther. The tale of Esther Cox and the ghostly occurrences at the Teed residence quickly became the talk of Amherst, spreading like wildfire through the community. Fear, speculation, and intrigue enveloped the town, with the mysterious bangs not heard just within the confines of the Teed house, but echoing through the neighborhood. The events caused a mixture of fear, fascination, and some viewing them as evidence of malevolent forces at work, prompting heated discussions amongst the congregation as well as the clergy. Dr. Edwin Clay, a Baptist minister with a vested interest in the supernatural, found himself drawn to Esther's case. After witnessing the unexplained events firsthand, he was convinced of the haunting's legitimacy, linking it directly to Esther's distressing experience with Bob McNeil. Now, Dr. Clay's public support for Esther, coupled with his efforts to share what he believed he had witnessed, polarized the community. While skeptics, they dismissed the occurrences as just a, a hoax orchestrated by Esther. Dr. Clay and others stood by her. They argued for the authenticity of her experiences. The controversy surrounding Esther Cox and the Teed House ghost story captivated not just those directly involved, 
for the entire town of Amherst, propelling the saga beyond the realm of personal ordeal into a community-wide phenomenon. The town found itself at the center of an intense debate over the existence of the supernatural, with Esther's story challenging the boundaries of belief, skepticism, and the human quest for the understanding of the mysteries of the unseen world. During this turbulent phase of the Teed residence, the household found itself engaged in an unceasing storm of paranormal activity. With Esther Cox at its epicenter, objects would mysteriously disappear, only to be found in an entirely different location, challenging any rational explanation. The house was frequently disturbed by unexplained fires as matches would ignite themselves. Everyday items like utensils began to exhibit violent behaviors, embedding themselves into walls or being thrown across the room. Esther was also directly affected, subjected to invisible assaults that left her visibly injured. During this turbulent phase of the Teed residence, the household found itself engulfed in an unceasing storm of paranormal activity. With Esther Cox at its epicenter, objects would mysteriously disappear, only to be found in an entirely different location, challenging any rational explanation. The house, it was frequently disturbed by unexplained fires, the matches igniting on their own accord. Everyday items like utensils began to exhibit violent behaviors, embedding themselves in walls or being thrown across the room. Esther, too, was directly affected, subjected to invisible assaults that left her visibly injured. Now, these occurrences led many to speculate that a poltergeist was at play, a spectral entity known for its noisy disturbances and physical manifestations. Amidst the turmoil, skeptics found a foothold, with some voices suggesting the events were just a result of an elaborate deception orchestrated by Esther herself. There was a temporary halt in the disturbances that came in December of 1878, coincidentally, when Esther was battling diphtheria. As she lay bedridden, the ghostly activity ceased, granting the family a brief period of peace. Now, following her recovery in Saxville, New Brunswick, and upon her returning to Amherst with an altered sleeping arrangement, there was a fleeting hope that the hauntings may cease. Yet, these hopes were quickly shattered as the paranormal activity resumed with Esther's return, reinforcing the notion that disturbances were linked to her presence. Now, the relentless nature of these events, resuming upon Esther's return deep in the mystery surrounding her, amid the ordinary ebb and flow of life at the Teed residence, chaos erupted one day as Esther and Olive spotted smoke coming up from the cellar. Of course, without a shadow of a doubt, the outbreak of yet again another mysterious fire. With the young boys blissfully playing outside, oblivious to the dangers, Esther and Olive leaped into action, seizing buckets of water in a desperate effort to quell the flames. Their situation quickly became overwhelming. They dash into the streets. They scream for help, which slides through the neighborhood's tranquility. A stranger who witnessed the distress didn't hesitate to assist. Shedding his jacket, he courageously plunged into the smoky abyss of the house. With the aid of a floor mat, he extinguished the cellar's blaze. His intervention was both swift as well as decisive, and no sooner than he quelled the fire, he vanished. His identity remained a mystery to those he had rescued. This incident did not go unnoticed by the neighbors, igniting a flurry of speculation and rumors. Many were quick to blame the peculiar inferno on the sinister entity that was believed to be fixated on Esther, yet the arrival of the fire marshal introduced a dose of skepticism into the mix. Acquainted with the whisper of Esther's entanglement with the ghostly forces, 
He dismissed the notion of supernatural cause, instead implying Esther's own hand in the fire's origin. His suggestion only served to amplify the unease within the neighborhood, where the close-knit arrangement of wooden homes served as a very tangible risk for a catastrophic fire. Amidst the growing fear and confusion, the neighbor's call for drastic measures against Esther's supposed mischief underscored the deepening divide. The ripple effect of this episode cast a shadow over Esther, which further alienated her from the community. The blend of fear, speculation, and outright aggression that met her at every turn painted a very stark portrait of a community grappling with the unknown, torn between the empathy of one of their own and the indistinctive need for self-preservation against the unexplained mysteries that had come to define the saga of Esther Cox. Days later, the atmosphere within the Teed residence reached a tipping point. Following Esther's encounter with an eerie presence in the parlor room, she described seeing a ghostly figure, gray and menacing, with eyes that bore right into her soul. The figure, whom she recognized as Bob Nickel, a local shoemaker, delivered a very dire warning. Esther was to leave the house, or it would be burned straight down to the ground. Faced with a grave threat, Esther confided in her family about the ghostly ultimatum. Daniel, already heavily burdened by the weight of the persistent hauntings and the increased anxiety of the community over the series of unexplained fires, found himself at a very crucial juncture. His dedication to Esther was absolute. Yet, the possibility of his home and the safety of his loved ones being compromised by otherworldly forces drove him to seek a resolution. In a moment of need, Daniel reached out to John White, friend known for his kindness and the readiness to assist those in distress. Braving the biting chill of winter, Daniel traversed the snowy landscape and laid bare the situation to John. After a thoughtful discussion with his wife, John consented to providing Esther a place to stay. Maybe even a place where she could have a glimmer of hope of tranquility amidst the storm that had taken hold of the Teed household. This pivotal decision marked a new chapter in the troubling tale of Esther Cox which signaled a change in the community's approach to her predicament. John and his wife's openness to shelter Esther underscored a vein of empathy and concern within Amherst. Of course, amidst prevailing fear and superstition, Esther's transition to the White family home initially appeared to herald a period of calm, offering her a much-needed reprieve from the relentless supernatural occurrences that had besieged her at the Teed residence. Now, for a time, her new surroundings were untouched by the chaos that has shadowed her life. Objects? They stayed where they were placed. And the unexplained fires that had become a hallmark of her presence? They ceased. The Whites welcomed her with open arms, providing the warmth and care of a family which undoubtedly infused Esther with a sense of comfort and belonging that she had been sorely missing. Yet this oasis of peace was fleeting. During the third week of her stay while performing the simple task of cleaning, Esther found herself once again in the epicenter of an unexplained event. As she bent over to scrub the floor, the brush vanished from her hand, only to be claimed by an unseen voice declaring its possession. Esther's alarming scream summoned Miss White and her daughter Mary, who found themselves unable to explain the brush's sudden disappearance. Then, in a moment as startling as any other that came before it, the brush reappeared, dropping from above to strike Esther. Now this occurrence marked a very chilling continuation from the disturbances that seemed to follow Esther, underscoring the idea that the forces at play it was not tied to a place, 
but to Esther herself. The return of these eerie happenings within the refuge provided by the White family served as a stark reminder of the inescapable nature of the entity haunting Esther, casting a pail over what seemed to be a brief sanctuary from her turmoil. Unfortunately, the return of the unexplained fires within the White's home signified a grim return to a more menacing aspect of Esther's affliction. John White, striving to contain the unsettling occurrences, brought Esther into the fold of his daily life at the saloon that he operated, under, of course, the assumption that his watchful eye might prevent the paranormal disruptions. But, contrary to his new hopes, mysterious activity stubbornly persisted just now in the saloon. Now, the saloon, it was a hub for social interaction, unwillingly becoming the backdrop to the ghost's unsettling displays, witnessing everything from the chaotic scattering of kitchenware to baffling movement of quite substantial objects without any human intervention. The community's response to these occurrences was a complex tapestry of intrigue as well as apprehension, culminating in desperate measures such as embedding glass into Esther's shoes. This act, intended to safeguard against the unexplained, only inflicted physical harm upon Esther, doing nothing to deter the ongoing supernatural episode. The phenomena escalated, with instances like iron spikes being heated to dangerous temperatures before being hurled across the room, adding to the lore surrounding Esther. These series of events elevated the saloon beyond its role of a mere gathering place and marked it as a nexus of paranormal fascination within Amherst. The establishment, much like Esther herself, became a magnet for those drawn to the mysterious and unexplained, transforming it into a site of intrigue. This chapter of Esther's life not only deepened the mystery surrounding her, but also intertwined her story more closely with the identity of Amherst, embedding her experiences into the town's collective of narrative as well as folklore. After a few months with John White and his family, where the saloon became an unattended showcase of the supernatural phenomena that followed Esther, her situation took another turn. John, he was overwhelmed by the continuous disturbances and could no longer host her. Thus, Esther moved to St. John, New Brunswick to stay with Captain James Beck and his wife towards the end of March, 1879. This new chapter lasted three weeks, during which Esther's experience attracted the attention of several scientifically-minded individuals, including doctors and lawyers who were initially skeptical of the ghostly activities. These men observed unique methods of communication between Esther and the entities surrounding her, notably through a series of knocks and responses to a talking board, kind of a precursor to the Ouija board, which was not yet invented. Now this method allowed them to spell out words and sentences, fascinating a direct line of communication with spirits. Among the entities that made their presence known was Maggie Fisher, who was claimed to be an old schoolmate of Esther's, as well as Peter Cox, who claimed by Esther as being an ancestral spirit aiming to protect her against more malevolent forces like Bob Nickel and another entity named Mackie. The skeptics were taken back by the casual manner in which Esther interacted with these spirits. By the end of their visits, the skepticism had turned into belief in the haunting that Esther endured. Now, their experience with Esther and St. John served to further validate her claims of being haunted, leaving an indelible mark on all those who witnessed the phenomena. Upon leaving St. John, Esther didn't return to the Teed household, but was instead welcomed by the Van Armberg family who lived three miles outside of Amherst. 
This move represented yet again another attempt to find a peaceful existence away from the disturbances that had so drastically shaped her life. The ongoing saga of Esther Cox marked by the interactions with the unseen and scientific community's engagement with her case continued to weave her story deeper into the fabric of local and supernatural history, leaving all those who encountered her to ponder the mysteries of the world beyond. The narrative of Esther Cox and her encounters with the supernatural continue to unfold in fascinating ways, as well as some would say probably unsettling ways. After leaving John White's household where her presence had become a spectacle for those curious about the paranormal, Esther sought a new haven with the Beck family of St. John, New Brunswick. This transition represented not just a change in the location, but also a continuation of Esther's struggle with forces beyond the ordinary. In the serene environment of the Van Armberg family's secluded home, Esther was able to find a little bit of peace. Now, this period of calm, lasting for eight weeks, suggested that perhaps the relentless supernatural forces that had plagued her might have finally receded. That said, Esther decided to return to a more familiar setting of Daniel and Olive Teed's home and to her duty at John White's saloon, surrounded by those who supported her throughout her ordeal. Yet, this peace was not to last. The hauntings, dormant for a time, reignited with a vigor, shattering the brief tranquility. It was against the backdrop of Walter Hubble, a touring actor with a fascination for the supernatural and a critical eye for deceit, who arrived in Amherst. Intrigued by the stories of Esther's mysterious experiences, Hubble came with the intention of demystifying what he suspected to be just mere trickery. Upon his entry into the Teed household, Hubble found himself immediately enveloped in the kind of unexplained phenomena that had become synonymous with Esther. Objects moved without human intervention, and the household was alive with activity that defied logical explanation, challenging Hubble's skepticism from the onset. Walter Hubble's experience at the Teed residence added a crucial perspective to Esther Cox's story, challenging disbelief and underscoring the complexity of her encounter with the paranormal. His observations with the undeniable physical manifestation he witnessed contributed to cementing Esther's narrative as one of the most intriguing and personally baffling supernatural sagas in the era. Engaging directly with the phenomena, Hubble explored the means of communication between Esther and the unseen entities throughout a series of knocks. Now, this interaction not only confirmed the presence of the spirit known as Bob Nickel, but also brought forth Peter Cox, who was supposed to be the protective force in Esther's life. Despite a clear hostility from the unseen entities towards him, Hubble's determination to uncover the truth led to a significant incident where a glass paperweight was thrown right in his direction. Now, this occurrence witnessed by Hubble served to further entrench the legitimacy of Esther's experiences in the realm of the supernatural. Walter Hubble's experiences at the Teed residence added a crucial perspective to Esther Cox's story, challenging disbelief and underscoring the complexity of her encounters with the paranormal. His observations and the undeniable physical manifestations he witnessed contributed to the cementing of Esther's narrative as one of the most intriguing and persistently baffling supernatural sagas of the era. Now, during Walter Hubble's prolonged visit to the Teed household, the environment was rife with the unexplained phenomena, solidifying the house's status as a hotspot for supernatural activity centered around Esther Cox. The entities are perhaps a singular presence exhibited a wide range of actions that confounded those who witnessed them, 
Objects were mysteriously displaced. Kitchen utensils flew through the air with danger velocity, and furniture seemed to move on their own volition, painting a scene straight out of a paranormal narrative. One of the more distressing episodes involved Esther directly, as she was subjective to painful pricks from unseen forces, resulting in physical harm. Walter himself recounted removing numerous pins from Esther's skin, a tangible, unsettling evidence of a ghostly presence. Further challenging the spirits, Walter called for a display resulting in an astounding downpour of lit matches from the ceiling, an event that served to both affirm the entity's presence and its capability for interaction. Adding to the eerie atmosphere was the sound of trumpets playing mysteriously within the house, just to have the instrument materialize at Walter's feet, an act attributed by spirit identifying itself as Bob Nickel. This period of intense activity provided Walter with ample material to document, capturing the essence of the haunting that besieged the Teed residence. His detailed accounts of these events, as well as the narrative of Esther's initial encounter with Bob McNeil, laid the groundwork for a comprehensive portrayal of a family tormented by phenomena that defied logical explanation. Walter's endeavor to compile these observations into a novel aimed not only to chronicle the extraordinary events surrounding Esther, but also offer a broader audience insight into the relentless and baffling nature of disturbances that she endured. His stay at the Teed House, marked by first-hand experiences with paranormal, contributed a significant chapter into the saga of Esther Cox, providing a detailed account of one of the history's most intriguing and debated instances of poltergeist activity. Putting his family first, Daniel Teed made the very difficult decision to relocate Esther back to the Van Arburg family. His hopes was in distancing her from the epicenter of the disturbances. Now, Walter's subsequent and final visit to Esther was at that household on August 1st, 1879. Now, what he said was it contrasted sharply from the turmoil that had previously engulfed her life. As Esther Cox found a semblance of peace with the family, it seemed that maybe the encounters with the supernatural might finally be behind her. Walter Hubble, in documenting her experiences, concluded his narrative with optimism. Eventually, Esther Cox's life took a very quiet turn. She relocated, found love, and married. Distancing herself from the turmoil that had once engulfed her daily existence. As we close this chapter on the intriguing and mysterious tale of Esther Cox, I'd like to take a moment and thank you all for joining me on this journey through the shadows of the unknown. If you've been captivated by the twists and turns of Esther's story, if you could please take a moment just to rate the podcast as well as subscribe on the YouTube channel where we will continue to explore the depths of history's most compelling and perplexing narratives. But our exploration doesn't end here. If you've also been donned to mysteries that's just beyond the edge of reality, if you could also join myself as well as Nick on a podcast that we call Deceptive Reality. Together, he and I both delve into the world of unsolved mysteries, bringing to light the stories that challenge our understanding and invite us to question the world around us. Remember, in the world of the unknown, the only thing that we're sure of is that we'll be back to question it all over again. So keep your eyes peeled, your minds open, and your podcasts updated. Until next time, goodbye.